We are live. It's 12 noon on Wednesday. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Emily, hello. How are you? Good. On today's podcast, we're going to be looking at three Old Testament prophets, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah, and then the majority of our time on this middle section of Revelation, starting in chapter 11 through through 15, uh, Grapes of Wrath and the, the Mark of the Beast, that number 666. What's the mystery there? What does it all mean? These are some of the biggest questions and in, in, in most mysterious things in all of the Bible. Uh, we've got some answers for you. We've, we've got some conversation ready. So uh, grab a Bible. You know the routine. Pull up a chair and let's go. Bible scholars, uh, welcome back or welcome for the first time to the Pastor Mike Drop podcast. I'm joined by another distinguished panel of brilliant <laughs> theologians and Bible readers and scholars and my co-host, Emily. Hello. Emily, I'm so excited. I already introduced you during like the opening. I, I It's like, here's Emily. Here's, let's just go. We have so much good ground to yeah. cover. How We're are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Christmas is coming. It's coming fast. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it. It's it's exciting around here. Yes, it is. Yeah, more and more lights all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, lo- lots of lots of big events, lots of cool things happening. And at the heart of it all, we're finishing our reading of the whole Holy Bible together as a church family. So I keep having people talk about it. They stop yeah. me, say they're listening in, but most of all that they're reading and really digging in. And it's still so fun to do it together. It is. It's fun. It's educational. It's inspiring. It's all the above. I've heard a lot of folks in our Hope community lately saying, um, hey, can we do this again next year? Because mm-hmm. either they maybe just did New Testament this year, want to do Old Testament next year, or vice versa. Or they had a couple of busy seasons along the way, maybe, or, or they wanted to take another run at it because yeah. it's like, okay, I got a lot. I, I know there's a lot more uh, mm-hmm. there, and that's true. There's yeah. a lot more there. So the answer is yes. yes. Well, these podcasts will be available, um, you know, until kingdom come, until yes. Jesus comes back. We'll <laughs> we'll put them on our YouTube channel, and uh, we'll have the Bible readings all listed out on our website yeah. and on bookmarks, and and we'll have the teaching resources and the classes and. Yeah. We're going to have it set up really well so people can yeah, do that and easy. even mm-hmm. still have some new resources added next year. Mm-hmm. So even better. New more and improved. More to come. Yes. Yeah, more, yes. more to come. And, and next year, we're going to be transitioning too from Bible to saying, okay, let's really focus on that living it out part. All year long, we've said, read it, learn it, and live it. And that live it out part is our theme next year is a church after God's own heart which mm-hmm. comes right out of the pages of scripture. So what does it look like, not just to be a man like David after God's own heart, but mm-hmm. uh, but followers of Christ, mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. And that kind of actually takes us right into our readings for today, uh, because yes. there are prophecies about God's people and in Revelation about the church. Uh, so why don't we introduce our distinguished yes. panel? With us, we have Pastor Caroline Binky-Becker. I already learned we have a favorite of yours today. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll hold fun. that. Just, it's a mystery. What is Caroline's favorite book of the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> it's a certain chapter of Revelation. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and Chaplain Anna Eckley. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited. Welcome back. Good. Yeah, Thanks. to both of you, Anna and Caroline. You guys have been on before, and I... 
you reminded me that actually the four of us were together earlier this year in a podcast in February. Mm-hmm. I, uh-huh. I, it's all, it's, yeah. It all kind of blends together, all the good yeah. stuff. So I didn't remember yes. that. I know you guys have both been on a lot. So thanks for coming back. Yeah, absolutely. One this more time, good. right? Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's yeah. go. So should we just dive in? Absolutely. You guys ready? Ted yeah. Lasso, help us out. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah. No, should have saw that coming. Okay. A few from our Old Testament readings. What do you want our podcast listeners to know that will help them better understand the Old Testament book of Amos? Now I'm going to share my secret. Yes. (laughs) Amos is my favorite uh, prophet um, for a multitude of reasons, partly because Amos really is the template for the rest of the prophets. Amos was probably the very first Pro, not first prophet, first written prophet. Mm-hmm. Remember, because we had, you know, Moses was called a prophet. We've got Elijah and Elisha. But Amos is, once you understand Amos, you can really understand the rest of the prophets because Amos is a prophet that's coming from the southern country of Judah and going to the northern country of Israel. So he's. Um, He's crossing the boundaries a little bit there. He's on tour. He's on tour, (laughs) absolutely. And what's interesting about him is that when he opens up his his book, we read all of these prophecies against the different nations around Mm -hmm. Israel, and you're thinking, well, what is all of this about? And if you actually take a map and you plot these nations that Amos is, is speaking to, you realize that what he's doing is he's drawing a target, and in the middle of the target is the northern country of Israel. Mm -hmm. So that although there are lots of prophecies against everybody, Mm -hmm. okay, because of Israel's responsibility, not privilege, Israel really has a lot more responsibility for how they act. And so Mm -hmm. when you get into what Israel has has, uh, uh, done, you recognize that Amos is going back to the covenant at Sinai, when Moses got the Ten Commandments and all of the other laws that talk about how you live economically, politically, socially, mm-hmm. um, as followers of, of God. And Amos says, all of these things that we were supposed to do, take care of the poor, have uh, fair court systems, uh, fair weights and measures, none of that is happening. Mm-hmm. Because what happened in the northern country of Israel is that once they became wealthy, once they became prosperous, once they became comfortable, injustice came into the world. Nice. And mm-hmm. when, when you read that and you're thinking, okay, what does it mean that you're selling the poor for a pair of sandals? Well, it means that their life, their work, their, their, their existence means less than you than a pair of Air Jordans mm-hmm. kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and their, the economic system mm-hmm. is, is bad. Then he goes after the religious system. Mm-hmm. He says... Come to Bethel, which is where one of the major sanctuary was, and sin. And you're thinking, whoa, 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 aren't you supposed to say come to Bethel and worship? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because what we, they were doing in worship is just uh, uh, just platitudes. Yeah. They, they, were, they were just talking, religious talk, and not living it out like we want to live out what we learn. They weren't doing any of that. They were making sure that, that uh, the religious elite stayed elite, and they didn't share any of that knowledge with the rest of the people. So the chosen people who were meant to be responsible um, said that I'm chosen, so I have privilege. Mm-hmm. And so Amos says, no, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Well, justice means to fight against injustice, and righteousness means to have in the same character of God. Mm-hmm. And Amos says, we don't have this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And you look at this back in the 8th century BC and you're thinking, wow, that was bad then. And then you read the paper today Mm -hmm. and you realize that this is, this is a word, not just for 8th century Israel, but it's for us today. And it, it is just as, it is just as stark and blunt to us today as it was, frankly, to Israel back in the 8th century. And now we see why Amos is your favorite Old Testament prophet, yeah, because it's so kidding. relevant for today. Yes. His, his words are, you You mentioned the famous, you know, uh, let justice roll down like waters, mm-hmm. famously quoted by Martin Luther King mm-hmm. and and others throughout history for good reason. That's out of Amos chapter 5, uh, verse 23 or 24. 24. Uh, instead, uh, in the NLT, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. What's interesting to me is right before that, and you alluded to this too, Caroline, Verse 21, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and your solemn assemblies. God's not saying, I don't like your worship. God's saying, I don't like your worship when your heart isn't with me. Mm -hmm. I don't like like that you're just saying, well, because we're special, because we're privileged, as, as you say, because God chose us and nobody else. God doesn't need us to be faithful anymore. God doesn't need us to be just anymore. God doesn't need us to be righteous anymore. God doesn't need us. We can just do whatever we want. Because we have this special status mm-hmm. uh, as God's chosen people. And what Amos is saying, <laughs> I love the way you put that. He's from Judah, but he took the tour to Israel to tell him. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you're hacking me off so much yeah. here that I'm going to go on a road trip to tell you and, and to get in the face of the worst king in Israel's mm-hmm. history. You know, we mm-hmm. talk a lot about David being the most famous or the best or the greatest mm-hmm. leader and king in the history of Israel. Jerob, Jeroboam was the worst. He he was he was the epitome of of horrible, uh, and and instead of just being the religious type, like we'll find out a little bit later with another prophet, Jonah, instead of being the type who's just like, oh well, you've got all the power in this world, so I need to conform my religion to you. Amos is like, forget that. Life is short. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm, I'm going to get in your face when your worship doesn't come from the heart. When it isn't genuine, God hates it. Wow, that's humbling mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and kind of an in-your-face statement. And when you live for your own wealth instead of the justices of everybody, you're not living a God-blessed, godly life. Mm-hmm. Next chapter, next, next first verse. What sorrow awaits you who lounge in luxury in Jerusalem? You're famous and popular in Israel, and people go to you for help, but... Here's judgment, 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 mm-hmm. judgment. So mm-hmm. what do we live for in this world so often? Wealth. Popularity, status, you know, power, power, getting all the things that Amos is railing against. So, yeah, what you said, sister, it is so relevant for not just people living in this day and in the northern kingdom of Israel, Old Testament times, but for people like us. It's just a good reminder. And I don't mean like us, meaning like them. I mean us like us, me too. Um, All of us need to be humbled by this as we read through it, if we're reading it faithfully. I think that this was a great example. When you said it was your favorite, I was like, okay, (laughs) maybe. Not exactly (laughs) yours when you read it. No, but the power of understanding the Mm -hmm. times and knowing more Mm -hmm. makes it richer. Yeah, Like it's so much richer to understand everything you you explained about it, to be like the power of what God was doing through this person or in that time. It's there's knowledge and understanding all of these things because it makes God bigger and the story bigger. And that's great. So good. Okay. What does the story of Jacob and Esau from Genesis 25 have to do with Obadiah? And what can we learn from this shortest book of the Old Testament? 
I'll it is st- very short. It's very short, so I'll have a very short answer. Uh, <laughs> because honestly, there's only, what, 21 verses here? Mm-hmm. Now, they're kind of long verses. I will, I will say that. So you could probably I- stretch this out a little bit more, but not a lot. What, but this is an important book. So let's not underestimate what's going on or why it's in the Bible. It shouldn't just be a pass-by mm-hmm. uh, book of the Bible. Obadiah is a prophet who's prophesying in a different time. He's prophesying against Edom. Historically, Edom's roots go way back to Genesis. So, you know, Abraham and Sarah, chosen by God to be the parents of this great nation, Father Abraham, they have, uh, you know, their kids, uh, um, uh, Isaac and Isaac and Rebecca have Jacob, and then it's the twins, Jacob and Esau. Famously, they don't get along, you know, (laughs) father's favorite, mother's boy, the the whole story. We've covered that. You can go back to an old podcast for more on that. But out of their, out of those two twin brothers comes Israel. Jacob means Israel, and Esau ultimately means Edom. And then in the Hebrew, Edom also means humanity, which is really fascinating. So now we realize, oh, I'm not just reading about a country uh, once upon a time in in Old Testament times that Obadiah is prophesying toward and challenging. I'm reading about. Us again, again. It's us. It's humanity. It's you. It's me. It's them. Uh, it's it's all of the above. And what Edom is getting at is kind of similar in in this sense. Like you said, if you understand Amos, you can really start to understand all the Old Testament prophets. So, what is it that God's constantly reminding people about in Old Testament prophecy? Your pride is kind of a bad thing, a bad idea. It's gonna it, your pride's gonna lead to a fall. And that certainly comes out here in uh, Obadiah. And I want you to turn around. I, I want you to come back to God. Uh, so there's, there's, like I said, just 21 verses. But in all of that, I think the key verse is verse 15. The day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. As you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. Because when Israel... Uh, and, and Judah, the southern kingdom, were being brought into Babylonian exile. Edom was not hesitant to jump in and, and ruthlessly torment those who were in exile along the way. Of course, God's against that. <laughs> God's against torment. God's against ruthlessness. God's against injustice. God's against pride. And it leads to the fall. So here again, I think an important warning from God through a prophet toward all of humanity. Mm-hmm. Hey, Watch your pride. Uh, Live for something more. Understand what you were created for humanity. And it wasn't to try to be, you know, say, well, we live on the status of this. uh, Geographically, Edom was also like up above, like elevated above. So as the as the people of God are being brought into exile by the Babylonians, they're like looking, literally looking down their noses. That's pride. Boy, we see that a lot today, don't we? I mean, religious people especially. It's so tempting to look down our noses at the world around us. So, yeah, God's against that. (laughs) Yeah, good thing. Uh, What are some of the rather brilliant points faithful Bible readers can apply to daily life from the sensational story of Jonah and the not whale, but big fish? (laughs) I'm not a whale. I guess Jonah is one of the worst prophets, but I actually like him. (laughs) He's interesting. Yeah, he's a good read. It's somebody who loves to read a lot of books. Yeah, this one is at least uh, entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But one thing that I really resonate and love about the book of Jonah is that you have this 
individual who doesn't feel as though he is worthy of what God has called him to do. He doesn't feel he's worthy to go to Nineveh. He doesn't feel like he's worthy to uh, share a prophecy. So he runs the other way into a big whale's tummy or something. Uh, Whether that's true or not, that's not the point. But what I learned from Jonah and that I constantly get to remind myself is that it isn't like you don't have to have the perfect words to say. You don't have to look the best. Jonah gave the shortest prophecy that we see with seven words in NIV. It's 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And through those seven words, uh, Nineveh revented. Per- Nineveh repented. Repented. Yes, <laughs> got it. Yeah. repented. Say that 10 times yeah. fast. Yeah. Uh, And so God just responded to his fears and his concerns with compassion. And I just think that's important for all of us to remember that if we show up, then God is also going to show up and we don't have to have all the right things to say, Mm. all the Mm -hmm. right things to do, Mm -hmm. but God can do really big things when we just take the next step forward. Yeah. Yeah. I love how Jonah is the anti-prophet. I mean, he he didn't want to do it. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so he ran. So he ran. And and as you read it, it you find that the, the text says, and he went down to Tarshish and he went down into the, mm-hmm. the ship and then he went down. Nice. And so each time he's sinking farther and farther, thinking he's going to run away from God. Mm-hmm. Like, I, good so luck with that. Here's a great example of why it's good that we do this together. I had never thought of that or caught that, the down, down, down oh. part of it. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. please. And, 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 and as you're reading through it, you're realizing this this prophet of God who should be faithful. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that isn't that supposed to be one of the, the job descriptions? Yes. Of, of, of a, <laughs> you would hope so. You would hope so. But then when he's on the, the ship and the, the storm comes, the pagan sailors are saying, well, we know that this is divine, so let's figure out who screwed up and so that we can deal with it. And Jonah says, well, I did, um, so throw me over. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, pagan, the pagan sailor says... No, we wouldn't want to do that because that is not a moral thing to do. Jonah yeah, was they trying, didn't at first. They didn't at first. Yeah. And so Jonah was trying to take his guilt and and his blood would be on their hands. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to, again, sneak away from his responsibility to I was God. trying to figure that out. Like, why didn't they just immediately do it? <laughs> yeah, because they had more morals than the mm-hmm. prophet of God. Mm-hmm. And then when he, when this, when they do, it's, well, it's, we got to do something. Yes. Throw him overboard, and it's quiet. Who prays to God? The pagans. The pagan sailors do. <laughs> not Jonah. Jonah. Did, not Jonah. <laughs> yeah. The pagan. So, so it's interesting, and it's not just them. Then when, when he goes and preaches to Nineveh, who repent? And and he didn't want to. You know, like that's a. Can you imagine Pastor Mike doing a five-word sermon? Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that just be awesome? It would be. Yeah. <laughs> a and miracle. So, and but then five <laughs> words or seven words, whatever. And the whole country, including the cows, yeah. repent. Isn't that amazing? And it's not because the sermon's good. It's, it's just because God's taken over. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the thing about it, I, the, the Old Testament commentary I read, which I thought was fascinating, it's from our friends at the Bible Project, said it was one of the worst sermons ever. <laughs> and yeah. yet it just showed. I mean, it's because it's Jonah didn't have his heart in it. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, we can joke around about it. And I, I would be at the front of that line of joking about it because I know how that goes as a preacher. We all do. It's not easy <laughs> to do. But if you just have a five-word sermon, you phoned it in. You, you uh-huh. didn't even try. You know, And that's Jonah's half-hearted effort to say, well, because his heart just isn't with God at all. <laughs> 
he doesn't he doesn't want to he doesn't want to acknowledge that God loves his enemies. And that's what it that's the mm-hmm. bottom line. Jonah's big point is are you okay with God loving your enemies? Mm-hmm. That's really the question that reading the book of Jonah pushes in front of me, you, mm-hmm. all of mm-hmm. us, everybody listening right now to this podcast. What about, okay, we want God to love us. We want love to God to love our friends, the people we love, the people on our side, the people who see the world the way we see it, the people who, but Jonah is so anti-Nineveh. When God calls him as a prophet to go to Nineveh and speak, not Jonah's word, God's word. And now, granted, the call of a prophet is not easy. We read about that all throughout the Old Testament. There's a lot of them who are reluctant. There's a lot of them who don't want to go. But Jonah isn't just reluctant. God says, go this way to Nineveh. Jonah goes the exact opposite way. You couldn't have gone more 180 degrees the other way. Mm -hmm. And so that tells us everything we need to see about Jonah's motives, his heart, and and his little sermon is is that like you said, Anna, se- seven words in English, five in the Hebrew. It's it's just this thing that he puts out there. But then you know, while he's there, he gets swallowed by the big fish. That's why we cross out the word whale in, in, in the because there's the legend is it was a whale. The Hebrew is fish. Tomato, tomato. That, that's like you said, Anna. That's not the point. The point is he got swallowed by a big fish. And then people, okay, well, there's no way he could have been swallowed by a fish because science doesn't allow that. And there's no way you could survive that. Yeah, well, there's no way Jesus could survive dying on a cross either and three days later rising Mm -hmm. from the dead. And so let's remind ourselves who's writing the story and who's in charge of nature and and who can suspend it miraculously whenever God wants to. And so I have no problem saying Jonah was in the belly of a big fish for three days and three and a half days. And in the same way, I have no problem saying God parted the sea or, or that miracles happen. Uh, Jesus walked on water. I think all those things really happened because God's big enough. That doesn't mean it fits inside the typical laws of physics and, and science. I don't have to be anti-science to say that. I'm just saying science is a part of God's truth. And so God's for it and usually uses it as a real gift for everybody. It's like, there's some, there's some laws of physics that'll keep everything in order. But that again is not the point. The point is in chapter four is just rich. And I think that's why you liked it so much. And I'm glad you said it so perfectly at the beginning. It's really an interesting story to read because at the end, after all of this, after Nineveh repents, even this terrible King, we said earlier, Jeroboam, worst King, you know, in the history of Israel, they all repent. It's like happy ending, not for Jonah. Why is he mad? Because his enemies receive God's mercy and he can't take it. I think there are people, Flannery O'Connor had a lot of novels about this, short stories. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people who, when they get to heaven, will be surprised, <laughs> you know, to see who made it. It's like, how did you get here? You were my enemy. I, you voted the wrong way, or you, you had a different worldview, or you, you weren't a Lutheran, you know, or, or you weren't a, as if that's going to do it, you know? It, yeah, but I belong to Christ, and I received his mercy, and I put my trust and faith in him. We have to remember what saves us. Yeah. We have to remember God's mercy is wider than our sin. And I would think that when we're most faithful, we're going to be most in favor in God's mercy being very wide yes. and not being just very conveniently narrow for people like me, that I'm going to want God's mercy to be as wide as it possibly can be for people like the Ninevites. Jonah doesn't get it. And even right to the end, the dialogue between him and God is rich, uh, you know, and, and God says, 
look, I don't need to prove this to you. Shouldn't I feel sorry for for these people? Isn't it okay for me to do that? God says, yeah, it is. Thank you, God, for your mercy. At first glance, I think everyone just assumes it's all about don't run from God mm-hmm. or what God's telling you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's always more there. Mm-hmm. So you spoke to that. That's it, good. That's really good, Emily. <laughs> yes. Okay, switching to Revelation. Let's go. Who are the two witnesses in Revelation 11? And what does John's vision of these two witnesses reveal for first century and 21st century churches? Can I get a witness? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to say that. Two. Caroline, please go. Yeah. Heaven help us all. Anyway. <laughs> so what is interesting about, about chapter 11? Mm-hmm. Chapter 11 tends to be the most confusing chapter in the most confusing book mm-hmm. in the Bible. So okay. let's just name it for what it is. It's just a crazy, crazy book. But when you look at the entire story that's being told in Revelation, we realize that this becomes the prelude to the second half. Mm-hmm. The second half of Revelation, um, uh, chapters 12 to 22, trace the defeat of Satan. So we're going to beginning to see what God is going to do ultimately with, with you know, sin, death, and the power of the devil mm-hmm. sort of thing, as good Lutherans learn. Yeah. Um, so we also have to recognize we can't lose sight of the seven churches as we're reading through this, okay? Mm-hmm. There are three problems of the seven churches. The seven churches were having problems with assimilating into the culture, you know, getting by, you know, just going along, get by. They were uh, suffering from complacency, uh, that they were neither hot nor cold, they mm-hmm. were lukewarm, that, you know, that sort of thing. And there were some churches who were being persecuted. So this entire book is... How do we support those who are persecuted? How do we wake up those who are being complacent? And how do we strengthen those who are trying to assimilate? Mm -hmm. So as long as we keep that in mind, then all of a sudden this all falls together. So the the uh, the two witnesses are uh, this beautiful understanding of in order to uh, go to court, you have to have two witnesses. Mm. in order to give testimony. So these two witnesses are giving true testimony because there are two of them, not just one. There are two of them. And as we look at those, the the lampstands remind us again of the seven churches. The olive trees remind us that um, the olive trees are where the oil for the lamps of the temple are uh, come from. And the lampstands are actually literally named in chapter 1, verse 20, as representative of the churches. The churches. Mm-hmm. And so these are not necessarily um, two individuals, but right. they represent, they symbolize the entire church. Yep. All and the people, all not the just people. two people. Not just two people, right. but this is much, much, much greater. Some people will say one of them was, was Moses because he confronted Pharaoh. One of, us, one of them represented Elijah because he confronted Ahab. Law, prophets... Uh, what it is, is it's the church, the followers mm. of the Lamb are to stand up and be faithful, okay, even in, this, in the, the face of everything that's being thrown at them, mm-hmm. and to be fearless. That's the other part of this. They are going to go ahead and they're going to prophesy, even though they're going to be martyred. Yeah. So Revelation is, t- is telling the followers of Jesus, it's not going to be easy. In fact, you may be martyred, but even in that, remain faithful and be fearless um, moving forward um, with your faith. Don't hide it. And so that it just begins to really build up. This is what the church is called to be. 
to be faithful. And that's so the two witnesses are very faithful, even though they're going to be martyred mm-hmm. for it. it. It starts good. You know, the church, yeah. the, the witnesses are heroes and they do great things and everybody's paying attention to them. Well, that sounds like the church. When the church is born, what does Acts tell us? Everybody mm-hmm. looked upon them with favor and God was adding to their number those who were being saved. And so there's definitely a connection between these two witnesses and the faithful church, not the unfaithful people of God that we just talked about in the prophecies of the Old Testament, uh, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, but the faithful ones, the people who are now, well, to be Christian literally means we belong to Christ. It's the people who belong to Christ, mm-hmm. the people who are descendants of God's chosen folks, but also the Gentiles too. So it's the Jews and the Gentiles who are belonging to Christ. These are the two witnesses. These are the lampstands now. It's also fascinating as you read through that list of seven churches in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, the two of those churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, are being persecuted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there might have been just a nod there, you know, in in this Mm -hmm. prophecy, in in this vision, if you will, from John Mm -hmm. toward them to say, hey, like I told you earlier in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, keep the faith, endure the persecution that you're facing uh, as as um, as Christians, as people who belong, and because not just as Christians, but because you're Christians, and mm-hmm. you know we can get into that more as we go. But maybe just to plant a seed for that now, you know they're living in the Roman Empire. John's writing in the 90s, probably AD, and so this is a decade or two. So it's fresh. It's fresh. I mean, just in the same way 9/11 is still fresh for us a couple of decades later. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we were alive, if we're old enough, we remember where we were, what was mm-hmm. happening, how it felt, the fear we felt, the 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 uh, confusion we felt, um, the the what do we do kind of thing now, the, the all those those feelings of really being humbled in a lot of ways too and scared. Uh, so let's say as John's writing this, it's about the same time gap as it is for us in 9-11, as it was for the people reading this first, and the fall of Jerusalem, the the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So that was just a couple of decades before. And that Roman Empire that crushed Jerusalem, that that knocked out their temple, well, they had they had emperors, Caesars, who would put their depiction on on you know Roman currency and they would be dressed up as gods. Mm-hmm. And it would say often on there the inscription. The son of God. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so John is saying, wow. Okay. It's going to be very tempting for you, everybody, to abandon Christ because you've lost your temple. You've lost the presence of God as, as you understand it in Old Testament times. You've, you've lost your position, your, your place, the endearment of the world around you. All you're getting is persecution. And what John is saying here, what this vision is saying here is, look closer. Look a whole lot closer and you'll see you're actually still on the winning team. Mm -hmm. While it looks like all the power is with Rome and it was a lot of power, worldly power. And okay, let's let's do this again. Let's say and for 21st century Christians, while it might look like the power is who's ever getting noticed on social media, whoever's the most popular kid at school, whoever's getting the promotion, whoever's making more money, whoever has the bigger house, whoever has the, you know, whatever it is, while it looks like those, that's what you should be living for first and foremost. That's where you're going to get the life you've been looking for. I'm telling you, look closer. That, so there's this nod to Smyrna, to Philadelphia, to all the churches, mm-hmm. to the lampstands, if you will, who are facing persecution. Keep the faith. Hang in there. It's not going to last forever. Even the language of it's going to be three and a half days. Or Well, what is that? That's half of a full cycle. That's, uh-huh. It's not going to last mm-hmm. a full 
cycle is not going to last until the end. Mm -hmm. So hold on, church, even in death, and you're going to die mm -hmm. <laughs> for this. And especially the martyrs are going to be... Yeah are going to be killed for your faith, like Stephen was, mm -hmm. you know, back in Acts and others since him. Even though you're going to die, you belong to the one who's resurrected. And so you will be resurrected forever and ever too. You're on the winning team. Look closer. We have to remember that. Even, especially when we're feeling like we're getting shame for our faith, mm. we have to remember, ah, yeah, well, that's just the appearance. Mm. And if I peel back some layers, I see where the real power is. You know, what's interesting about this, God gave us this book so that we would turn around and repent. Mm -hmm. And all of the horrible things that have happened up until this point in time, people haven't repented. They haven't turned around until it's, we get to the resurrection of the witnesses. So it's what we do as mm -hmm. people day by day. Our, it's, it's our lives that is the sermon that people are longing for so that they can come into a relationship. That's good. Mm -hmm. yeah. Go ahead, Anna. Uh, I was going to just to build off that and then make another point was the wit that this term witness that's used this specifically time is used. I think it said five times in the book of Revelation. My commentary said that. Uh, and it just means those who testified the truth of Christianity. And so our words and the way that we live is really important. And how you were talking about the power balance. Sometimes it feels like we or you may be low on the power end. Uh it says that the witnesses were closed in, clothed in sackcloth, which is just like a posture of humility and a posture of mourning, mourning for the sins of the world, mourning for our brothers and sisters in the yeah. world. Uh, so, uh, but it doesn't mean humility as in shy or scared. It's a humble, it's a confident, mm -hmm. humble confidence. Mm -hmm. You're confident mm -hmm. in whose you are. Yeah. You're confident in yeah. the, in God, but that doesn't mean that you have to be the most powerful no, yeah. that's such a good point. And, you know, putting those two last thoughts that you just both shared together, where does the real power come from? And where does, what, what leads to true repentance? We talked about this in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, right out of Revelation. Because even after the, the wrath of God, righteous wrath, righteous anger of God is poured out on the world, there's still the people who have worldly power say, I'm not repenting. Because it sure still looks to me like worldly power is as good as it could possibly get. Well, no, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Um, being a martyr for Jesus is actually is going to be better. And being a person who belongs to Christ is actually going to be better. So mm -hmm. put on your sackcloth, uh, do repent, keep the faith. God's on our side. Uh, God's on the side of the faithful. And it's not the lion who ends up mm -hmm. ultimately winning. It's the lamb. Uh, it's, now, Jesus is both. I'm not saying that. But it's what he does as the lamb. It's his sacrifice that wins. So what looks like power isn't power. To most of the world, what looks like power is worldly power. Ah, that's just, it's, the, it's the biggest illusion. It's the, the, maybe the devil's best game. Yeah. It's like, hey, live for this mm -hmm. instead of the stuff that's... Re it looks like it's going to last, uh -huh. but it isn't. The stuff that's going to last is the stuff that comes from belonging to the lamb, the one who sacrifices. So follow in his footsteps. Be willing to do it. Yeah. Uh, quickly, I want to add in a write-in we got about Revelation 10. It says, what's the significance of the seven heads, 10 crowns, and 1260 days? 1260 days appears a few different times in these chapters that we read this week. Uh, chapter 11, verse 3, for instance, and it's also called 42 months. If you do the math, 42 times 30, I think it's 1260, right? Top mm -hmm. of my head. Yep. So uh, that's, that's this uh, three and a half years, 36 months is three years. So 42 be three and a half years. Well, that's half of perfect. That's mm -hmm. half of a full cycle. So it is a symbolic way of saying 
this isn't going to last forever. And again, so it gets back to that. That worldly power thing has a half-life. It doesn't have a full life. Um, So hold on to that. But the heads and the crowns, Caroline? Uh, Crowns symbolize power. So Mm -hmm. the more crowns you have, the more power you have. And we'll see as we move forward, there's there's a beast that has seven crowns and a beast that Mm -hmm. has 10. Well, Mm -hmm. because one of them wanted more power. Um, And the heads have to do with the, again, this is back to Daniel 7, but it has to do with the uh, political governmental leaders that are going to be coming that are there and going to be coming. So uh, in in Daniel, it was, you know, what was happening during the Persian Empire. And in Revelation, it's what's happening. What are the the Caesars that are coming, um, okay. who, will, who will be coming um, during this time? Okay. Good answer. Good yeah. question, too. Thanks for, for sending it in. Yeah. Uh, what's the story in Revelation 12 about a woman, her son, the dragon, and war in heaven all about? Well... It about is, all kinds it's of about things. all <laughs> kinds of things I learned uh, when we were preparing for this one. Um, but one thing that I liked about chapter 12 was that it was like, uh, it was a very dramatic scene. Oh, so yeah. I just yeah. read the book Fourth Wing earlier this fall. Mm. It's about dragons. Mm. So I was actually able to visualize dragons. Nice. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if dragons are real or not, but that's not the point. It's about a dragon who, the dragon there represents the devil, Satan, evil, uh, pulling people away from God. And then we see a woman who could be seen as Mary. She could be seen as the church. Uh, She could be seen as the mother of Israel, which I think someone Mm -hmm. might be able to speak more into that. And then we see the son who is Jesus or who is the one who is coming to lead the people towards God. But ultimately we see this really dramatic scene and the imagery from it, we see that Satan is, the dragon is powerful enough to knock out a third of the stars, which is very powerful. But yet when it comes to war against the army of God, Mm -hmm. that's, that has not, that doesn't really mean anything to God. So Mm -hmm. what we imagine as so powerful still does not add up to God's power and the Mm -hmm. army of God's power. And Mm -hmm. as Christians, we have that power on our side all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So even when life feels very scary and it feels like you have it all up against you, I think that the one takeaway I had from this was that we still have God's army on our side and it's more powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that we've noted all throughout, thank you, Anna, for that. One of the things we've noted all throughout reading Revelation is John assumes we know the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so here there are connections all over the place in uh, Revelation 12, uh, which says she, this woman, gave birth to a son who, as you said, Anna, is is our Savior, is the Messiah Christ, who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. You're like, is that Jesus' iron rod? And then you Mm -hmm. read Psalm 2.9, you're like, oh yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Psalm 2.9 says, you will break them with an iron rod. This is is a prophecy about Christ. And at least John's picking up on that and Mm -hmm. saying, this Mm -hmm. is a prophecy, Psalm 2.9, about Christ. Uh, Before that, it says, verse 7 of Psalm 2, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you're my son. Today I've become your father. Oh, this does sound like the Messiah. And so... John assumes we know the Old Testament. We, we can get into the weeds on that, and I love getting into the weeds on that. It's really, really fun. But what, what I want to say to 
podcast listeners and Bible readers who maybe don't care as much about connecting all those dots, just know that it's deeply rooted, mm-hmm. that it is deeply rooted in scripture. John's not just coming up with new images here. And as you said, Anna, it's a very dramatic scene. There's dragons, there's, there's a pursuit, there's a battle that's being set up, as you said, Caroline, for this back half of Revelation between good and evil, between God and Satan, between uh, the lamb and the dragon. Now, if a lamb fights a dragon, who do you think is going to win? And again, the world would say, well, the dragon, this isn't even going to be a contest. The lamb's, you know, spoiler alert, the lamb's going to win and it's going to be glorious and it's going to be beautiful. It's not even going to be close. Uh, And so we, again, have this just constant reminder, man, if there is a major theme just weaving through this, John is saying, keep the faith, hold on to Jesus, do not let go because you're on the side that is going to be victorious. That victory language in the Greek, it's Nike, just interesting. Mm -hmm. That victory language is key here, and it's going to get louder and louder and louder as we get toward the end of Revelation. Yeah. And when we look at verse 10, we even see that promise come through. Uh, when God promises salvation, when God promises, of yeah. chapter 12, verse 10, or a loud voice in heavens speaks, promising salvation, promising power, and promising the kingdom. Yeah. So even in this battle, the promise is very loud and coming through. Cool. Good. Who are the two beasts depicted in Revelation 13? And can we solve the meaning of the number of the second beast, 666? Well, yeah. So the book of Revelation doesn't come like a map with a key on the bottom that says, okay, the, the first beast equals this and the second beast equals that. Uh, and it would be so helpful. It really, well, it really, <laughs> one of the greatest Bible scholars in the world says this. And T. Wright says, it'd be nice if it came with a key. It'd be yeah. nice if it came with, a, with that resource. But he and other great Bible scholars uh, and, you know, all the people we've been taught by along the way, will tell us there are a lot of clues. Mm, There are a lot of things here. And that number, the Mark of the Beast number, 666, is at the end of Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, It says, wisdom is needed here. Let one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. And not to leave anybody in suspense, and we've said this many times before around hope, if you do the the numerology, if you if you if you put the numbers together with the letters of people's names, and they did this all the time back in first century Middle Eastern culture, so my name would have a number, your name would have a number, all of our names would have a number, and we'd be pretty familiar with those numbers. Well, the number for Nero Caesar is six hundred and sixty six, and he's the persecutor of Christians, and he's the, it wasn't him who ultimately toppled the temple. It was Titus who came later, but he set the table. And so maybe he's the first beast and Titus is the second, or Rome is the first beast and Nero's the second. Or, and if, you know, it's talking about the second beast here in 1318. And so probably Nero, who knows, but it is clearly for John in his original audience in the first century, he's talking about the oppression of the Roman empire against Christians. They're getting killed by the Roman empire. They're getting wiped out. Their temple's getting destroyed. So people say, well, does that number have any significance for us? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not the number so much as the battle between good and evil, because evil continues to persist. And again, all of the great New Testament scholars, like my teacher, Dr. Kester, Craig Kester, uh, 
at Luther Seminary who taught me the book of Revelation. It's like, it's, a, it's not an either or, it's a both end. Mm-hmm. There is something here for first century audiences, but there's also, it's the book of Revelation and it's talking about the end of everything as we know it and the return of Christ, which hasn't happened yet. So there are still some things to yeah. come. Yeah. And so it is, it's what is and was and is still to come. And what is still to come is interesting. And so as we read this, we are reading history. We are, it is really kind of helpful to know first century Roman Empire history here, the accurate part of that anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think, important for us to be watchful and, and to be kind of aware that the same kinds of Nero-like leaders can rise up in the world today. And even though they look uh, appealing on certain levels, even though they might be able to promise you things that you really want. And so you're like, okay, well, I'm going to overlook the, the, the corrupt side of, of this government, this leader, this nation, this person, this, this cause, this social movement, this, this whatever it is. I'll overlook the evil part of it because it does some good. Well, that's great. It does some good or, or that person does some good or that nation does some good. But John's been pretty clear. He's saying, have no part of it. Mm -hmm. Do not support it. Do not be a part of that because God is watching and and is definitely wants to know who do you really ultimately worship? Do you worship a nation? Do you worship a government? Do you worship a a, a ruler? Do you worship somebody? And do you want everybody else to worship that person or that nation or that cause or that social movement or or that, that worldview? Or do you have something deeper again? Do you have your faith in something more? Uh, so I think that's all here. The beasts represent those temptations to believe in things that are less than God, and they aren't going to last. So hold on to that faith again. Mm-hmm. How does the placement and content of a heavenly vision and the time of harvest in Revelation 14 contrast with worldly beasts in Revelation 13, and why does it matter? Well, the worldly beast in chapter 13 is the unholy trinity. You've got the the dragon, the first beast from the sea, and mm. the second beast from the land. Okay? Mm. okay, they are a parody. They're they're fake, trying to look real. They're trying to look like God. They're trying to look like God, um, and because they have all the power, they have all the ability, they have all the influence. Now we are looking at the uh, the true Trinity. In other words, true God, who has the true power. Well, the true power is the ones who are going to come and judge all of creation. And so when we get into the the harvest, we have to recognize that there are actually two times that harvest is going to happen. There are two angels with two sickles. The first harvest is going to be of those who are the righteous, who have followed the lamb, who are, are faithful, and they are going to be harvested. In other words, they are going to be taken home um, and gathered in, like you harvest any time, mm-hmm. you gathered in with the people of God. There's also a second harvest. For those of you who think that that God doesn't care about injustice and that evil is going to run right. one rampant, this is a, a, a reminder that, oh, no, it's not, because the second angel is going to come and harvest all of the unrighteous, and they are going to be squashed right. like, gra- you know, that's the, mm-hmm. the grapes of wrath, the, the, the wine that you Glory don't want to drink. Yeah, exactly. It's the bitter wine that you don't want to be drinking. You don't want to be in that part uh, of the harvest. Everybody's going to be harvested. The question is, which harvest are you going to be a part mm. of? Okay. As, a, as a farmer growing up, that kind of probably rings true in a, oh. in a very like down-to-earth way for you. Very much What's so. harvest time like for a farmer? It is glorious. It's hard work, long days, um, but it's, the culmi- it's literally the culmination of everything that you've done in the weeks mm. and months in, in advance. Mm-hmm. All the worries, all the work, mm-hmm. um, which... 
I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? You yeah, you, you plant good. seeds, you w- pray for rain, you you weed, you do all of those things that Jesus tells about in the parable of the sower. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the harvest is a time of celebration. Mm. It is, in Revelation, a time of celebration if you are following the Lamb, but it's not a time of celebration if you're not. So you have to ask yourself, which... Yeah, where are you going to go? Well, yeah, are you the weeds? Are you the weeds? Uh-huh. Right, and exactly. and and how do you? And people can freak out by that. So how do I know? Do you belong to Christ? Do you have that mustard seed of faith? Do you have you have you turned to God? Who do you put your trust in mm-hmm. for your future, for your salvation, for your life? Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you let direct your steps? Uh, all those kinds of things. And I, I love that you said. It, for people who think God's going to let people get away with things, you know, every once in a while Christians will say, don't worry, nobody's getting away with anything. And that's true. And it comes right out of this, uh, Revelation 14. It comes out of Romans 12 and elsewhere. You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You, it's, we're not very good at exacting vengeance on enemies of God. God's really good at it. And, and when we take the long view, I mean, the really long view, the true eschatological view of eternity looking back, they're getting away for it, but for a you know relative to eternity, a millisecond, and then boom, here comes righteousness. Here comes righteous anger and wrath from God. Here comes the harvest of a judgment against injustice, against sin. Um, and so we said, well, but I'm a sinner, and I've I've done unjust things, and we all have. So where's my hope then? Well, it's in the blood of the lamb who purifies us. And do we belong to that lamb or are we putting our faith in ourselves that some, well, God will say, you know, you are nicer than a serial killer. So I guess you could get in. That just doesn't fit with the whole movement of scripture, not just in Revelation, but the whole 66 books we've been reading along the way. Our hope is in Jesus. And our hope isn't just, gosh, I I really hope he can do it for us. Like, I don't know. This is going to be tough. Reading Revelation reminds us, our hope is well placed. It gives us that confidence that you talked about, Anna, uh, and so that we're, we should we should live securely and confidently in that faith. We have nothing to fear on the day of judgment because we belong to Christ, not because we're perfect, but because our Christ is perfect and we are connected to Him. Last question: What does it mean that the temple was thrown wide open, yet no one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues? Yeah, I like how we were just talking about Christ's judgment because that really ties in here. Uh, it's going to take time. It's and this is what the seven plagues are. It is the final promise of judgment. It's our time to wait patiently because judgment happens, and it doesn't. And like we've seen in the Old Testament through the prophets, it's for everyone, regardless of your social class, regardless of what you look like, regardless mm-hmm. of where you live. Uh, justice is going to be for everyone. And we put so much hope in that promise and we put so much trust in God, especially when we look at the evil that's going around in different corners of the world, mm-hmm. that for this final period of waiting until they pour out the seven flag or plagues, uh, it's it's not a fickle thing. It's something very serious. And it's not to scare us, but it's also to say that there is just so much going on with that final judgment. And sometimes it's scary to think about and then also holding on to hope. So I don't quite know how you hold that tension, but I think it is something that we should think more often about instead of just saying, it's not going to happen in my lifetime or I don't need to worry about it. Because it's not that we need to worry, but we should be aware Oh yeah, absolutely. What's interesting is that this is kind of a, a reversal of the of the um, bulls that the uh, that were taken to have where the the 
bowls of incense, which were the prayers of the people that were taken to heaven, that the angels took to heaven. Now, all of a sudden, that has been reversed. And uh, we have to, like you said, Anna, we have to live with the, the fact, the reality that judgment is coming. And yes, we pray. Oh, absolutely. But we can't, God is a God of justice, and we can't, we can't soften that. Thank heavens, he's also God of mercy, but we can't forget the God of justice. Um, that, is, that is the God of the Bible, and, and that's our God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Revelation fifteen five says the temple is thrown wide open. Well, that's really good news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have we have access, but then verse eight, as you guys talked about, says no one could enter the temple until that justice is poured out, as you both referred to. I think sometimes people say, and this is a good place to close, maybe for today, and we'll pick it up next week with Revelation sixteen, but. Here in Revelation 15, isn't a bad time just to pause and just to soak in this for a minute. I hear Christians sometimes say, I don't know if I'm all that excited about eternal life, like forever. It's getting, I mean, wow, that's, that's, but I think we're looking at it from the perspective of the people who have to endure the fallen worldness of, of this life, the frustrations, the futility, the disappointments, the suffering, the brokenness, the heartache, the injustice, uh, all this stuff. It's like, really, we got to do that forever? And I, I, I hear the, I think the, the sense underneath that, the good news is God is judging all of that stuff. In other words, wiping it out. That stuff is removed from the scene. So the only thing that's left is Garden of Eden. The only thing that's left is Kingdom of Heaven. The only thing that's left is life the way our soul has been longing to live it from the moment we started to be conscious of this. That's, that's what's coming you're going to want that forever. And, and that, that's actually something you won't get tired of. It, because by definition, it's not going to get like, it's not like that movie with Bill Murray. What was that uh, called? The, um, oh, oh, Groundhog's, Groundhog's, Groundhog's Day. Day, where he just has to keep living the same life over and over. And he's like, come on already. Okay, enough. Check, right? This is, this is the opposite of that. It's fascinating. It's new every day. It's, it's, it's us. And we're not just going to sit back and receive. We're going to work. We're going to serve. We're going to we're going to love people. We're going to have missions. We're going to have things to accomplish and to do. It's 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 how you feel when you're most alive. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to be forever. Okay, you're going to want that forever. And that's what this is. That's not just what the Book of Revelation is leading to. It's what the whole the whole story of the Bible of Scripture is leading mm-hmm. to. It's this beautiful symphony. And it's, it's, you know, in a lot of symphonies toward the end, it just bump, 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 and it just, it just ramps way up. It's what we're getting with Revelation. We're getting that big finale, that big finish, and it ends so well. And when it's done, it's, it's like I said in the sermon this weekend, for a half an hour, we just sit there and we're just blown away. We're just in awe of how glorious it is. And we're like, I'm finally home. Uh, I'm, I'm finally where I've been longing to be all along. You're going to want that feeling forever, and you're, you're going to get it. Um, if you keep the faith and hold on to Jesus, Jesus is our hope. And that's the point of this whole book and the point of this whole read through the Bible. (laughs) So read it, learn it and live it out. Uh, We love you. God loves you more. We'll see you this weekend at worship and we'll see you next week. We just have two more episodes left, Emily. My goodness. We're almost there. Bye-bye everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform and we'll see you next time.